Welcome to the Upside Podcast, powered by Upside Global and hosted by Julian Blinn, founder and CEO of Upside Global. The Upside Podcast is listened to weekly by over 6,000 sports and tech executives from all sports leagues and teams in the United States and around the world. Julian has been developing technologies for professional sports teams for over 10 years and has worked for major tech companies along with sports tech startups. In each episode, Julian interviews global leaders in sports to share knowledge on emerging technology in the sports industry and how these technologies can help improve the performance of individuals and organizations both on and off the playing field. And now here's your host, Julian Blinn. This week we had the honor to interview again a group of sports performance experts. So first we have Dr. Bill Burgos, uh, an experienced NBA and strength coach uh, and adjunct professor at two universities. Uh, Mississippi State and Austin P State University. So welcome back, Bill. Thank you. Yeah, it's great to have you back. And then we have uh, Dr. Marco Nunez, uh, former head of trainer of the LA Lakers NBA team. So welcome back, uh, Marco, as well. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Great. Thank you, Marco. Uh, and then we have Pierre Barrier, uh, an experienced high performance director in the MLS. Uh, you worked at the LA Galaxy, the LAFC, the Toronto FC the Red Bulls, and as well as the Premier League with Leeds United. Uh, you're also a FIFA expert. So welcome back, uh, Pierre. Hi, everybody. Thanks. Great. Thank you, Pierre. And then we have Adam uh, Quinkley, an experienced athletic trainer in the MLS, as well as the NFL and the U.S. soccer national team. So welcome back, Adam. Great to be here. Looking forward to it. Great. Well, thank you, guys. So, hey, uh, I wanted to cover a couple of topics today. Uh, first, uh, I'd love to get your thoughts on the KPIs that you guys have used uh, in performance medical teams. And then uh, I'd love to talk about what is, uh, according to you guys, a good manager uh, in sports performance teams and why you think uh, you know, a good manager is a good manager, right? And then uh, we'll talk about some of the best teams that you ever worked for in your career in terms of team cohesion and collaboration. And then lastly, also, I would like to talk about two more topics. One is about the Orlando City Football Club. Uh, they're very data-driven, uh, and I'd love to get your thoughts on that and see if it's the norm across different leagues or not. And then lastly, we'll talk about uh, Messi, right? Messi got his eighth Ballon d'Or. Some people, it's you know, it wasn't he didn't deserve to get it. Uh, so I think it's uh, people have different opinions about it. So how does it sound? Sounds good. Great. Okay. Hey. Great. So the first topic I want to discuss, I came across a new study uh, about the KPIs uh, in performance medical teams. And so my question to you guys is, have you guys used uh, you know, KPIs in your team? And which KPIs have you guys used before and why? Anybody wants to get started? Maybe I'll pick somebody. Pierre? Have yeah, you yeah. Okay, go ahead. Sure. I mean, obviously it's broad. Uh, it's a broad topic, you know. Um, yeah. And the list of KPI goes on and on and on and on and on. So, what I would say is, uh, depending, you know, if if you are managing the high performance department, and then um, you probably, you know, and this is leading to the next question about managing. I would say mm-hmm. um, the KPI that you have to uh, agree on, you know, it has to be it has to be done in common. Um, but then again, you don't want to dictate to uh, one of your practitioner, you know, what exact what exact method they should use. Uh, there's, there should always be a leeway. So, 
on the on the medical side, we can talk about range of motion. We can talk about you know active and passive range of motion. We can talk about especially now with all the tools coming with the uh, the AI kinetics and so forth. Um, on the physical side, the endless. I mean, depending on your sport, it'd be interesting to hear you know uh, the, the basketball point of view and etc. etc. Et in in soccer, we look at the classic one. The, the the, the sprint distance, the running amount, the uh, the high speed running, um, the uh, the thresholds are pretty much universal. But in some clubs, uh, there was a, a um, different threshold, which was very interesting because it, it was hard to compare with, with other clubs with, with the majority of the club, I would say. And then obviously the AC ratios, the uh, the, the the deeper analytical you know type of kpi that we can discuss so for in soccer it's mostly about running um i would say um and i would say that there's a much bigger commonality on on the medical side from sport to sport and and also before i i ask the uh, you know uh, the other guys so in the context of a team or a department uh so it sounds like those kpis are attached to particular so players right Right, sure. but do you have like a team KPI, a goal for the team, for example, a goal to hit? Maybe it's to have, I don't know, reduction of injuries by X, whatever it is, uh, or is it mostly KPI that I tie to athletes, for example? Again, you know, I mean, if it's if if it relates to anything than the sports side, you know, I'm sure there's plenty of stuff. Can it be verified? I don't know. We've had physical team goals, you know, when you want to outrun the opposition. Uh, uh, when you set it, when you're setting standards based on uh, your players' uh, profiles and what you think you should achieve in a game in order to be successful, so we've had that in pretty much all my clubs. Um, but again, this is this is this is uh, pretty much um, the head coach call in most of the time. You know, some head coach don't okay. don't want to go by this. So if you want to talk about all, all in the city later. Thank you, Pierre. Uh, anybody else? Bill or yeah. Adam? Or... I want to. So, so basically, um, we had this um, platform at the time. I don't know if it's still it's still being used, but um, Conduct, which is I think is Movello. Yeah. So when we had Conduct, um, basically you had your athlete and it had an overall score uh, out of like let's say a hundred, right? And so what we did was uh, we basically created four categories, right? It was performance, strength. You know, things that we thought of value, body fat and movement, right? And this incorporated the whole high performance mm -hmm. team where the athletic trainer and physical therapy, because we all had our own tests. Uh, if you ever read the book, The Four Disciplines of, of, of Execution by Chris McChesney and Sean Covey, they talk about, um, you know, no more than two to three goals, right? Each department should have no more than two to three goals. So what we decided to do was like mm -hmm. the performance side, that was kind of like more our sports science, our force plate numbers, our wearables. And then we kind of like broke it down, those two things, those two items. And then it was two items on each one. So for wearables, what are we looking for? Heart rate, load. And for force play, what are we looking for, right? Whether it's, um, uh, uh, what is it, RSIs and things like that, right? So then um, for the body fat segment, we worked with our dietitians, and then we'll have our body fat numbers. Uh, but I also worked with our chefs. We kind of gave this number where it was zero, one, zero, one, two. So zero. So they had like a, a sheet, right? And basically, if the if the player didn't go into the to the kitchen to the um, to the uh, the players' lounge to eat, 
they'll get a zero. If they ate, but they didn't eat at the right time, they get a one, you know, that kind of stuff, right? And so what we did was we created this whole system based off what we wanted to measure. And then we created these key performance indicators that alerted us. So they should be within these ranges. And that's how we kind of measure them throughout the whole process. So for example, if if out of 100, let's say this guy's a 70, for example, it alert us, then we break down what's break, what's making it a 70. Is it the performance side, the movement side? Is it the strength side? You know, the strength side is like things that we measured was like, you know, whatever our big lists were and in weight room attendance. And so whatever those numbers were that brought that 70 down, whatever that, that led to that certain segment, we focus on that area. And it kind of helped us really focus on what area we needed to improve on, whether it was body fat, nutrition, whatever it is, to help keep those KPIs mm-hmm. up in, in that sense. And, and that's kind of like how we use the athlete management system was I breaking it down into four different segments that incorporate everybody and everybody kind of like put in their own KPIs based off what we're trying to measure. That makes sense. Yeah, maybe a quick question. Yeah, go ahead, Mark. No, no, like kind of what Bill was talking about. It's kind of interesting what Bill was referred to and what kind of Pierre kind of mentioned. Um, so, so, you know, I'm not a big fan of some of these KPIs. I remember we used to meet with them. They used to come back. I think in depth was one of them that we kind of met. Uh, I was never mm-hmm. a huge fan of when they would come in and say, hey, this is what you can do with our product. It was always, hey, well, what can, you know, how can we customize it? And there were some that were like, well, you can't. This is just it, it's what it is type of thing. Mm-hmm. Um because every every team is different. Every like you know, Pierre mentioned sometimes the coaches dictates bill uh, the director of sports medicine or or, or the uh, will dictate how, how you do it and what you want to measure. And everybody's different just because they work for one team. And I think that's one of the downsides that a lot of teams kind of see is hey, well if they're using conduct and they just won the championship with conduct, well we got to go by conduct and that's not the way it works. Type of thing. Everybody is completely uh, different, and and I think that's the one thing a lot of teams kind of fail to do is to analyze. Hey, what what's what do we need? You know, what's going to help us? Do we have the staff to do it? You know, some team may not have a nutritionist, dietitian to to be able to kind of kind of categorize. I think now they may most of them do, but back then they didn't type of thing. So it's it's kind of interesting. It has, it's all have to be individualized and customized. Now, can I ask you? So maybe Adam, before you you jump in. So uh, how often would you guys check on those KPIs? Or maybe it's the other way, like you get an alert saying this this athlete is beyond his, you know, threshold or like half you guys mm-hmm. check on those KPIs and then how would you communicate back to the athlete or the team? Well, I mean, that's a good question. But I mean, you got to identify your lead measures and your mm-hmm. lag measures, right? If I'm going to like weigh a guy and wait three weeks and I notice that he didn't reach his old, I feel like I'm doing a disservice where I should focus on the lead measures that really affect and influence whatever I want that body weight to be. So I feel like the more, the more, the better, but you got to be very strategic about it. I mean, I would, my assumption, I know when I was in baseball, we had our weekly, um, I had to do daily reports, weekly reports and a monthly report. I I had a habit Mm -hmm. of doing that. I had my daily, which was my internal, you know what I'm saying? That was like, for me, weekly, it was like something I shared with the players, whatever. And monthly was when I shared with the whole department, you know? But that kept me, but I was always communicate. You know, even though I was doing these little daily reports and things, I would always communicate. So by the time we did, I did do these, like, you know, shared out these reports or anything, no one was alarmed. But we also could catch it early. But that's why the KPIs are so important, is to keep you on track, but also to, to let, alert you, you know, if you set the KPIs the right way. Because what we used to do is just create this, like, if you go in these red zones, right, based off these daily inputs mm-hmm. or whatever it is, then that would kind of keep me on track. But I mean, ideally, keep yep. me on track. Yep. 
And so that way I could really get, give the athlete whatever they need. I feel like they got more on their plate to worry about, but it also streamlines everything too, when you identify these APIs, but, 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 but to, to what, um, to what um, Nunez was saying, he's actually right. I mean, you, you, these teams, they all want to copycat each other <laughs> and it just doesn't work for them. It didn't, but you know what? Your KPIs is your KPIs. It's based off what you believe in, what you're focusing, what works, what works in your structure. And not just because there's other teams doing it, because you you identify what the KPR is based on your system. Yep. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so that's that's primarily what's for to help you stay abreast of what's going on, and you can attack things early on before it becomes a problem. Yep. Yeah. And yeah. Like like Bill mentioned, the KPIs are for you as an individual to give you feedback on whether what you're doing is is working, and you just did a course, or if the athlete's regressing or it's not working, then then you change it. Top at the bottom line. That's all. It's just feedback for for us to to either. Justify that what we're doing is, is succeeding. It's helping the athlete. Oh, hey, you know what? It, it's not working. The athlete's regressing. And find that kind of dive into. Okay, well, why is he or she regressing? Let's make some modifications and just keep track of. And, and kind of, are we staying the course or we're we changing course? Hmm? Yeah. So, uh, what are your, your thoughts um, on that? I think APIs experience? are and what develop structure, create a perspective, and. Kind of lens that we can view and, and make our decisions from that we can evaluate and, and analyze from um from there's as kind of everyone touched on the the categories or the levels of kpis there's a, a larger principal plan as far as like the club or organization there's the coaches and the kpis of we want to score being the top three in the league of goals scored or goals against or whatever mm -hmm. it is and those are kpis obviously that are a little less involved medical performance side mm -hmm. but even a, a kpi like that like top three in league and goals. well how do we score goals okay we, we score goals by getting in behind the defense okay how do we do that it's sprint speed it's agility and so then from a medical it's okay hamstring health and so those things are we can look at those kpis from a global perspective and then funnel yeah. them and and uh uh kind of divide into what we can actually do day to day, which then becomes kind of that sub 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 API level for our thing. And it, it does end up being individualized to ourselves as a department, as well as ourselves as an individual within our staff and how we, you know, align our own KPIs as far as our, our own roles and responsibilities to align within those, you know, steps higher and higher. And I think that I, I obviously KPIs are, are not specific to sport. They're across life mm -hmm. in general like in the industry i was surprised looking back at how far into my career i was prior to getting addressed what are our kpis and being as clearly structured as they should be and could be um so i think that's something to honestly for for bill start your students on this stuff <laughs> if you don't already like these are things that we should have coming out as you know as pierre touched on range of motion you know these are it's a goal but all we talk about, or all I heard about in school was a smart goal. And a KPI, I feel like, is a more identifiable goal that we can address in, in the professional sporting role, or the, in uh, the professional sporting world, uh, to then guide our, guide our decision-making as well as our day-to-day. -day. No, Adam, you're right. So, yeah, KPIs are being used like in corporate America, right? In the companies I work for. We had like in our division or the, you know, we had like a KPI for the entire company. 
You see the revenue goal we're going to hit, the margin goals, and then each department, right? We have the team KPI and the individual KPIs. So everything is tied up to these big KPIs or goals. And then, you know, we can see how, how well we've done. You know, have we reached, reached the, the revenue target and then how we've done, you know, individually. We've we so got to make think, sure we yeah. differentiate between goals and KPIs. Yeah. Because yes. goals is the outcome and then, achieve. you know. The KPIs is is the you're measuring your success as you reach your goal. So, for example, mm -hmm. if um, if I want my guy to stay at 200 pounds, my KPIs could be between two, like let's say 200 and 198, right? Well, mm -hmm. if he's at 201, that alerts me with it because he's above his key performance indicator because I'm measuring his, or if he's below 198, but his goal is to yeah. stay at 200. So KPIs is to measure the activity, you know, your success as you're reaching your goal. Yeah. And so um, that's that's it. I just want to make sure that um, I hope I correct me if I'm wrong. <laughs> but yeah, 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 because we're talking a little bit about uh, like some it, outcome, you know, like uh, yeah, which is not, you know, again, what we're dealing with on the daily basis. That's the actual difference. So that that's a an interesting point because oftentimes when I see KPI it's followed by slash patient outcomes, which is, as we're talking about, different. Yeah, it's almost it's like a, a destination and then the steps to it. So that that's a that's really important to differentiate between. Yeah, and obviously in corporate America, you know, it's it's a bit different, right? Performance wise, the performance of the athletes and how well they're doing versus, you know, a goal. I, I don't actually get caught, but. We don't really have, in fact, we don't really have KPIs that we check on a regular basis, right? As, uh, you know, to compare with the goals. But anyway, um, so yeah, I mean, one word, one last word to you know our word of sports, you know, because I don't know anything about corporate America, um, you know, and, and I alluded to this a little bit when I started. You know, obviously, we need to have our core KPIs, you know, the one that the whole staff agree on, um, because these are the other one that we discuss. But for me personally, I let the freedom to anyone in, in the area of responsibility to look at other KPIs because for whatever reason, they maybe value it more than I do. They experience something that they see a straight correlation to, you know, to uh, future success or not. So I think it's important that you don't want, you know, um, there's so many of them that you don't want to go. I don't like to hide between uh, a method. Even if it sounds great, we have the method. This is our club. This is how we do it. All of us do the same. Yes, it's good to have something in common. It's a must, but each one needs to have the freedom again to apply the knowledge they've had for somewhere else uh, in order to contribute to the team's success. Yeah, that's a good point. Hey, uh, the other topic I want to discuss is, it's kind of tied to this, but you guys have worked with lots of different teams, different managers, different style of managers, but what, you know, what defines, according to you guys, a good manager you know, sports performance team and why? Um, anybody have any thoughts on that? What's a good, good manager in a team setting? Well, I went yeah, first, the last, me, I went first I, the last time, so I'm, I'm, I'm okay. going to let it go. <laughs> I'll go. Um, I, I mean, I, I this shifts depending on the, the environment, but first and foremost, communicator. They have to be a clear mm -hmm. communicator. You have to understand what you're trying to communicate, why you're communicating, and when you're communicating these things. Um, 
you know, what makes me think about what works well is when I think about what didn't work well and how that could have shifted. Um, and, you know, it, it's also for me to create an environment where people are motivated and inspired to work amongst each other and work with each other um, to not put up walls, but to create like less of a silo and more of a cohesive integrated working realm. Um, and, you know, the, the last part that's probably the, the most important for me is a coach or manager that is um, true to their word. Um, if they if they're asking something of you or asking a staff to do something and we're going to follow up next week or a month later and revisit it it's the quickest way to lose trust when we never end up revisiting it and people are like well why am i going to do that if we're never actually even going to look at it because when the coach or manager is is true to their word it creates a sense of um self-confidence and self um or would it be like a reason and a, a true core belief in the greater good or the impact or, or winning mentality of the team rather than those like, why are we doing this? Why have... no one even looks at it type um, communicative style, communicative yeah. style. Yeah. yeah. The, the, the two things that kind of pop in my mind as far as the manager, uh, one of communication probably the number one, just like Adam mentioned, I think Bill kind of mentioned also earlier to the next question. Uh, but the two things that, that I was kind of think back when I was kind of like the, the director is um, one, uh, as far as the manager, understanding my limitations and understanding that the people that I work with or, or have hired or around me for me to trust them. I'm not a big micromanager person. I just have this belief as if I'm the manager and I'm micromanaging everybody that either tells me one, two things, either one, I don't trust who I hired. Then the question is, well, why do I have them as part of my staff? If I don't trust them in the sense. Um, you know, I used to have people come up to me and say, hey, you know, we're going to do this. Hey, I'm like, I hired you for a reason. I trust you what you're doing. Go do your thing. You know, if you need my help or you need, we need to kind of sit down and, and communicate, then that's fine. But you don't have to keep asking me every question. Hey, we're going to do this. Next, this is the next step. No, that's the type of thing. So I'm not a big fan of micromanagers when it comes to managers, so mm -hmm. to speak. Um, but also understanding as a manager, my own limitations and understand, okay, why do I have these people around me? Why do I have this support system? Why do I have this dietitian? Why do I have this strength coach? Um, and trusting them. So Geopol, maybe it's somebody who empowers people too. Correct. Because he trusts them, right? Empowerment's huge. Mm -hmm. yep. And, and on, yep. mm -hmm. on that, what you're talking about, Marco, is the communication of, hey, I'm hiring you because I trust you. Correct. Exactly. It, mm -hmm. I'm giving you the, <laughs> you yeah. know, if, if, if the I didn't trust you, and, and I I still, if I didn't I trust you, I wouldn't have hired you in the first place, something. But, but letting that, like I said, letting that person understand that and, and know that. Um, but also giving them a little freedom. Hey, your errors are going to happen. And if it do happen, if it, it's not the end of the world, let's but let's, like you mentioned, let's communicate it and, and it kind of solve it, solve it as a cheap type of thing. But like I said, I'm, I'm, I'm not a fan of micromanaging and, and, um, I don't know. I don't know. Sometimes some people may argue that's, that's a bad thing. You should micromanage as, as being a manager, but personally, I hate it, but that's, that's my opinion. <laughs> I agree with Marco. I mean, three things for me, and I, I know we touched base on it. One is, I think the biggest thing is treat people with respect. I don't care if you, if you like, you know, if you know everything or you hired me to do this, but if you're going to yep. treat me like garbage, I, I'm not going to want to work with you. And the reason why I, I say that, that is mm -hmm. because I know there's a lot of studies that show out there that they, they have a thing, it's called quiet quitting. People would just do just enough yep. to get by, mm -hmm. right? 
And, and, and you don't want that from an employee or somebody on your staff, especially I think it would diminish the quality of training that these players would, would receive because you're only going to get just enough out this guy because he's not motivated because you treated him with disrespect. And even though you hired him to do these things, and if he's not treated the right way, he's not going to give you 100%. Number two is being a good communicator, like what you're saying, Adam. I just think like if you're not clear with what you're saying and then you get mad because I didn't do it this way or this and that, I think um, that could lead to a lot of problems if you don't, if you're not very clear on what you're expecting and things like that, especially from the beginning and on, and especially as you um, carry out a project, be clear on what you want. Um, and I think the, the other thing is, is, is allowing the person to grow where you were talking about autonomy and things like that. Let that person do their thing. You hired them for a reason and let them grow. That's the mm -hmm. only way they can move. The idea is for them not to be your assistant or this position for a, a, long, a long period of time. They, they, they want to grow and you got to give them that opportunity while they do their job. Uh, Cause I think they would give a lot uh, for you. And then I think that also set the tone for the next person that comes in place that would be excited to work there. Uh, so I think those are three big things when it comes to having being a good manager is number one is treating that person with respect. And I think you will go a long way. So uh, maybe Pierre, before you jumped in, uh, it's also a good manager, someone will listen. Mm -hmm. uh, if there's conflicts, you know, it's someone who can find consensus, right? Because people have different opinions, right? Yeah. Uh, right. A good listener, I think, can go along too. Yeah, absolutely right. right. <laughs> This this is the uh, you know this is the, the the fine line. I mean, we all agree that micromanaging is not good. I'm I can I'm I'm definitely on that camp. Um, there are times where you have to make decisions though, and they have to be yeah. aware of it. You know, because especially as you have expanded staff, there's the beauty of these. Um, you know, um, I mean, in football, I used to be a women's band. You know, uh, and now we have departments between ten up to seventeen people. So. It's great because you have manpower, you have expertise. We go back to everything we talked about. You hire these guys. You know, if you're a good manager, I think you should surround yourself with probably smarter, smarter people than yourself. You know, um, and then empower them. You know, you delegate. Going back to my KPI points, but they also have to be aware that at times, you know, they, you know, the consensus is uh, is great in theory, but it doesn't always happen. And then you will make that call. And going back to Bill was saying, number one, treat people with respect. Uh, and then they would have to respect the decision, which would be even more so uh, easier if, again, they know you and they know that, you know, uh, you lead by example, which is if you lead by example, you treat them with respect, you're a good listener, um, then, you know, you can expect the same from other people, uh, from your staff, you know. So for me, it's more about being a leader. Um, mm -hmm. And being a leader means, you know, again, they're good at what they do. This is this is why they're in the position they're at. Um, so you can be a resource at times, but I think you provide guidance and mm -hmm. uh, and provide the condition for them to uh, to flourish in the position. You know, and that's that's what would help the team ultimately. Um, but going back to your first question, the very first question, what makes a good manager? Well, from uh, from what perspective? From a staff perspective? From like a People above you perspective, and this is the, this is you know again back to this is the communication uh, challenge as well, you know, and and you have to have these different backgrounds. Whether it's you know it has to be coaching, it has to be uh, the medical side, it has to be you know the physical side, etc. Um, but then also you have to know how to deal uh, differently with different people, you know? mm -hmm. and knowing and, that and you might well, manage people, but you're being managed by someone else. So. No, great, great points, Pierre. And before Derek jump in, 
Hey, Derek. Um, I was thinking maybe a good manager is also somebody who is taking responsibilities if there are mistakes, as opposed to pointing oh. fingers at you did something wrong, you did something wrong, right? Like, yeah, like by uh, example. Yeah. yeah. Right. Um, so, anyway, uh, Derek, we were talking about what makes a good manager in a team setting. So, do you have any thoughts on, on that in particular from your experience? Yeah. I mean, just I'm sure everyone's probably touched on it already. Just good manager, the people, a good people person that understands the roles of everybody and a little bit of insight into each of their roles, maybe not an expert in every single role, but just also someone that has a lot of trust in the people that they hire below them, because ultimately there are going to be times that they're going to be autonomous and doing things that you're not always going to be around for. But as long as you have that trust in them and give them that freedom and empower them to make them feel like that they're part of the process or part of the projects, then I think that's going to be one of the major goals of or big pieces of a good manager. But that's my quick little synopsis here okay that's great uh hey guys i want yeah Real nick quick. yeah bill yeah so i want to just add to that it's, the thing is we're in a we are in a unique profession right it's not like we work monday through friday nine to five i mean we're with each other like majority of the day right for a long time and we're traveling we're doing these things so like a manager should be a good manager regardless of like what profession it is industry whatever it is but in, in our case, we're such a small group of people that were with us around each other the whole time that it's really important that whoever that person is mm -hmm. really needs to know how to connect well with us or just mm -hmm. each other because it's, it's, it's more than beyond just work. Because, I mean, we're getting on the plane together. We're, we're unloading bags. We're like we're doing all these things together that, you know, it just it just makes it um, it makes the experience uh, 10 times I guess worse if the, if you're just working with a bad person at the same time, it's, it's not like I could just clock out, you know. And so uh, I think uh, you know I'm glad that you brought that up because that's very important, especially in sports, not just for you know for our sake, but also for the quality of training for the players. So, yeah, it, it, it's funny that you bring up bags. Even like, like when we would arrive to city, do the bags. You have somebody managing the whole bag system because your goals you want to. At two o'clock, three o'clock in the morning, you want to get those bags marked and get them out and get it to the room. Yep. So it's, it's one of the, so even during those situations, we wouldn't even think about someone's got to manage that. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. It's, it's all important. So I mean, we're with these, and, and I've I've seen it. I mean, come on. I mean, you know, Marco. I mean, we'll be at practice early in the morning, meeting, and then it's like as soon as practice is done, we're on the plane. We're on the plane together. Yep. Then we're flying. Then we land. Then bags and it's team dinner, whatever. Next, you know, it's like yep. twelve o'clock at night, and then we got to start again the next day. Yep. Yep. So there's no that good manager. You got to be good the whole time. The whole time. Yeah, you're right. Uh, yeah, you're right. It's not just like the nine to five. Yeah. Great points. Hey, uh, which bring my next question, right? So you guys, I work with lots of different teams, uh, you know, different leagues and things like that. So from your experience, what are the best teams that you ever worked for in your career, right, in any sports, in terms of team cohesion and collaboration, and why? Anybody has any any uh, thoughts on that? I, I do. Uh, let me yeah. I get out the way. So I worked for several teams. Uh, my first experience was with the Pittsburgh Pirates. We were a very good group of teams. So I, it's hard for me to say what's the best team. You know, uh, yeah. I, I had a different experience in each one. Um, mm -hmm. when I was with the, uh, the, uh, the Pirates. You know, we, we had a good class. I mean, we all did big things when we left. And, but I learned so much, and I felt like it, it created the foundation for my success. 
Then mm-hmm. when I went, when I became the head strength coach um, for the Knicks, that was my first time as a head strength coach. But just the overall experience and how they welcomed me in New York and everything was awesome, and I could never forget it. And I, and we were winning, so there was a lot of good things that were happening during that time. And then like my time in Orlando, uh, I really had a good time with the staff alone that I worked with. And so I and 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 then I met some good people when I was in Minnesota. So each each place I had like uh, I guess a unique thing that I could take from to help me. But but if I had to rank it, like the number one experience was my New York experience, just because that was my first time as a head strength coach, and it, and it was fun. And so they say if you can make New York, you can make it anywhere. I don't know. <laughs> New York is the best. Good. Yeah. Anybody? Um, Marco, Pierre, Adam. Derek, I'll, I'll go next. I mean, my, my overall one, like, you know, like as far as Bill mentioned, if, if I were to rank him, I guess it's, you know, the one thing I, I think about is the, the staff that you work with and how can I put this? The relationship you kind of build with them, whether short term or long term type of thing. So right off the bat, one of the, the, the first thing that kind of pops in my head is actually right when I first started um, as an assistant athletic trainer way back, back in 2099, when I was with the LA Avengers, they were an arena football team out here in LA. Um, it's gotten to the point that the team, doc, even the team, our team doctor would travel with us and we became good friends. I used to go to his house. Even now, every time he comes to LA, we always grab dinner. I go, he lives in Miami. I go, you know, I call him up. We have dinner, safety with the head trainer at the time. Um, I became best friends with him. So he and I are best friends type of thing. So that whole philosophy of the commodity between the staff that's kind of I pictured that it's not only like like Bill, like you mentioned, it's not only like while you're working in that training room, but also what occurs outside of the training room type of thing. And by the way, I'm not trying to get you guys in trouble with your previous. I know that's, 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 that's a loaded question. Right? Words, they're all nice. <laughs> anyway, so, so I was about to say an easy answer is the current one. You know, that's what I was saying. Pierre, yeah. Pierre has to say that, although because it's being recorded. Um, you know, I mean, for me. No, we can talk about best practice because we've been practitioners for a while. So the, the practices are, are the, the practices are the same, you know, whether from club to club, from organization to organization. So I think when you, when you ask when was it best, you know, it's funny that Bill said he was, you know, in New York, which was his first NBA team, right? So you never forget your first one. But uh, uh, I think it just it's just a moment where you know, the people are aligned. The results, Bill said it, the results are great, so therefore the atmosphere is good. And and then most likely you're gonna stay in these places. So these good times are gonna last, you know, until eventually mm-hmm. it's a professional, it's a professional environment. So the day you start to lose them, and obviously it's a little different. So for me, it was probably was I'm not probably it was definitely the, my my stint uh, I stayed 10 years with your soccer and um and that's yeah. That was a time where the results were there, the people were there, the the, the practices were in place, and then uh, and it was it was very enjoyable. Nice, um, Derek. Adam. I want to I want to point something out. He was a federation. So for for our friends, you know, working basketball, you know, I mean, Derek is first hand <laughs> can can attest to this. It's very different to work in a federation environment, you know, where we talked about you know the KPIs and we said the. And, the difference between KPIs and outcome goals. Well, you know, when you work in a federation, you have by definition time to prepare for a goal, which is a World Cup every four years. So it's very different pressure than working in clubs where you know it's it's more what I described the washing machine. You know, talking about the bags, you know, at night and then spending, you know, twenty four seven with people, you know, every day for uh, for eleven months out of twelve in, in football. 
and Pierre, especially if you have to prepare a World Cup at home like Derek in 2026, there's more, even more pressure to get ready. Yeah, where, where you don't have to qualify, you know? Yeah. Again, so, you know, it's, it's one non-pressure you have to have, but now, exactly. you know, obviously everything that we've already started doing is in preparation for it, you know, because of the, the, the pressure of having to be successful. Yeah. You know, uh -huh. just because you haven't, just because you don't need to qualify, there's still this massive amount of pressure that's going to be coming to be successful, because you know we need to change soccer in America forever is what we need to do, because this is our opportunity with a young team coming off of a strong World Cup in 2022 where they're all 23 or younger, and now you tack on a couple more years, and mm -hmm. you know it's it's a it's a inflection point almost for the U.S. soccer. And so the federation is it's, it's huge so we'll see how that transpires over the next couple of years so is that your favorite team you ever played for i'm, I'm gonna put you on. ever work for i mean I, yes i'm very fortunate that i, I i'm fortunate i haven't really bounced around in my job so you know i can count my professional jobs on probably like this many fingers here which is yeah probably a good thing for me but um you know i, I think just the comes down to the people that you work with, kind of like what Bill mentioned, and if people are welcoming and you can get along with them and everybody understands their roles for the most part and you work well within that role and your support system to one another, that's what's going to make your best environment. doesn't matter. Yeah. I would say it doesn't matter on results, but I only say that because my time in my previous employer, we, we weren't very successful at all. Um, didn't make many playoff games, uh, but uh doesn't mean we didn't have a good time. We didn't try hard and figured out some things on our own. And I think that was the other thing about the organization is allowing us to grow as a, as a, as a department as well and being receptive to what we wanted to do. And, you know, we are one of the first MLS teams to go to three athletic trainers, which is kind of crazy to think of it, but back in 2000, the earthquake, the earthquake. Yeah. So back in like 2016, yeah. there may be three or four teams that had three athletic trainers at the time. And now every single team has three athletic trainers, right? It's so it's just, mandate, yeah. yeah, but just being at a, at, at what you call a smaller club that didn't spend much to have that, you know, willingness of the management or the, the ownership to let us do that was huge because we were able to put it together. And again, I think the organization can help out a lot too, not just like your department and how much they're willing to help you out by a lot. Makes sense. Thank you, Derek. Adam, do you have any, any thoughts on that as well? Yeah, I, I would simply add in a, what's made the, the best working environments for me are the places that care about like you as a human and that we're there to work a job and, and serve as a career. But also like, you know, I've, I'm only 31. So the past 10 years in, in sports medicine development, it's also been like heavy maturation years as far as career and also lifestyle development and having managers, having colleagues, having athletes and patients around that really care for the development of one's life, both outside of the, of the lines, outside of the training room or locker room, but then also within it and that we're there to serve a purpose and to work and have our roles and responsibilities. But, um, how that impacts our our life is, is just so important and when we're not heard when we're not understood when we're not seen both within and, and outside of the environment that's where a lot of i think the the difficult scenarios and environments develop from um but that's based and and marco as you kind of touched on um 
the friendships and relationships we have, I was thinking, okay, well, what, what's like the meat and potatoes of that? What is that? And it's really, it's the foundational philosophy, at least for me, of when you develop a philosophy together mm -hmm. as a department or as a staff, we realized like, one of the biggest kind of impactful questions I ever got asked is, is my first role as a head athletic trainer. And we were going through a, an injury rehab and discussing it as a staff, a high performance group. And someone said, it was, uh, Andy Thompson, who's a performance director, he said, Adam, are we treating this injury how you would like to treat it? Or are we treating it how the new ones would treat it? And I realized, like, am I just developing my philosophies and just kind of copy and pasting what I'm learning and what I've done other places? Or is it really, are we creating this development or this philosophy as a group and seeing that there's a time and place for different conversations there's a time and place for developing relationships and not and seeing kind of just how all of these different interpersonal relationships exist and can develop together in in different times and places it's it's, it's much larger than simply trying to win games here i guess is what i'm trying to say and finding how that synchronicity can exist is where i think relationships are developed and and noticing where you butt heads like it's not something to run from there. We are there, we're working together. We're spending 60 plus hours a week there together, eating meals, working out, family time, et cetera. Like these are things that we can't just throw out the door. Like we get to address things and see how to work within a relationship, um, a, a working relationship that is. Yep. Well, thank you, Adam. Uh, hey, uh, we'll bring the next question. So today I came across a comment made by performance uh, executive from the Orlando City Football Club, uh, where he said that they build reliable processes to capture the data. Uh, so once they realized what was relevant to their decision making, they organized and structured the department to become data centric. So, for example, today uh, they combine data from uh, different types of uh, ranges from data. So, for example, they track you know blood biomarkers, sleep patterns, game load, travel schedules, strength score, hydration assessment. Uh, and deliver actionable insights on what to do now and what to do next to accelerate recovery and optimize the ability to perform. So um, I know it's a broad question, but but what based on what I just described, right? Tracking biomarkers, tracking sleep pattern, game load, hydration. Do you think that that's the way the way that Orlando City operates and generate insights is a common practice across many teams and leagues like the MLS, the NBA, the NHL? Or it's pretty widely adopted. You know, it's pretty common for teams to have that kind of data and then to make actionable insights based on that. Anybody? It's a broad question, right? There's no wrong or right answer, but uh, I just want love to get your take on that. I mean, I'm not sure what teams are doing nowadays, um, but my assumption would be is like, like I've always felt like the NBA was ahead of the curve for most of it as far as I know, when it comes to certain technologies and things like that. Um, mm -hmm. I'm just more concerned about confirmation bias, uh, where we basically would, um, you know, take what we know to confirm what we think, what we believe in, you know what I'm saying? Like in terms of really finding out what this player actually or athlete really needs based off the information. So my, my concern is actually how, how it's being interpreted mm -hmm. versus just collecting it. But I just, I don't think is anything unusual or different that this team is doing, but
But then again, I don't know what's currently happening right now with teams, but my assumption that uh, there's certain NBA teams, MLB teams are doing something similar. Not everybody's sharing what they're doing. Um, and they are. Yeah, and the NBA is, yeah. Well, I'm just saying that not, every, yeah, not everybody will share because some things they, they want to keep on a low, I, I would assume. Yep. Um, but um, but I think what they're doing is good, you know, so. That's great. Um, anybody? Yeah. Yeah. I, I would add, I, I read into some of this Orlando City stuff, and one of the things that they touched on within the patient care model is they had a seven, I'm, I'm looking at it now, a, like a seven part pie chart and it was rehab sports science sports psychology strength and conditioning nutrition athletic mm -hmm. training and research and development and i think that looking at each of those things and identifying that they are different they're they're separate parts but mm -hmm. also integrated together like it's really difficult to do any type of r d when you're also in charge of patient care and like on field things and when you have I, I would say probably the reason why the NBA leads a lot of this stuff is because there is a, I don't know, the amount of money, but it seems like there's a little more um, budget there for different things that within the NBA and, and FL uh, company structures. So looking at how you can identify these different kind of verticals within a working environment, I think that that's really what Orlando City is kind of touching on and what made them and what has made them successful. Um, and that when these different departments have separate KPIs, they can come together and and collect data one, because when you last thing I'll say here, when you have an R and D department, or at least someone that's doing research and development, you can collect data. Mm -hmm that doesn't have to be immediately integrated and implemented into action. But when you have people within in your traditional like high performance environment, we don't really have time to do a bunch of data collection that doesn't have an immediate effect. And to be honest, like organizations don't want to spend money on stuff that isn't going to be implementable. Mm -hmm. You know, now we've started shifting to academy research and partnering with different hospital systems or different research programs to kind of take the data and then develop it and then sit out implementable uh, analytics. But that that's, I think, a, a difficult kind of line to toe of what's that, what do we want to collect that may be a bit longer term and what's actually implementable today? Yeah. No, I think Adam said the key word implementable. Um, you can collect all the data you want, but if you can't use that data mm -hmm. and be able to implement it and be able to use it at least right away or hopefully within the next 24, 24 48 hours, um, yeah, you can collect data and just have it, but if you can't implement it and utilize it to benefit your athlete, um, I don't know. But I, I was going to ask uh, your point, Adam, about the, the fact that they have this research department, right? What does that mean? Does that mean that they have somebody who is scouting studies and research out there, right? Those research papers, and then they're trying to implement some of the findings towards their philosophy or, I mean, it seems, and I, some teams that have those research departments, right? Like Arsenal, maybe Juventus and some other clubs. But I'm just wondering, is that common to have somebody, for example, scouting for research and studies and try to implement that into, you know, what they're doing? I don't know. Okay. Yeah, I know. Uh, uh, it's, it's usually based on uh, ahead, just uh, a, a data 
a data geek. You have you have one provider that really we loves reading data, data. <laughs> and they do it on their own time. Yeah. But is that typically, but, let's yeah. say, the head of performance? Is it a sports scientist? That's part of the job? Or? Well, I mean, I did... go ahead. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's part of, it's depending what structure you have. So when you talk about research and people who publish, you would have more of this in Europe, you know, in countries, yeah. because, because the clubs, the football clubs I'm talking about here, they're connected to universities. So you yeah. have all this placement. Um, and then we have, the, and now because the universities have performance programs, so you have, uh, I wouldn't say endless supply, but you have like a good supply of PhD students who can come and, and that would be the task, you know, and I had one in Toronto, which is not Europe, it's, it, it's, uh, right. it's the MLS where his, his, his placement was to run a study or research, you know, based on numbers, which ultimately, you know, should if we're going in the right direction or not, and that we can apply something, you know, of this study the next year or not. So I would say that part is, you know, it's it's common. I would say more in football in Europe than in the US, but it's getting there in the US very fast. Going back to Orlando City, everything that you've, you know, that you've mentioned um, doesn't strike me as any different. And most of the MLS club, they might not advertise that much or publicize that much, which you know, it's it's I respect the fact that you don't you don't publicize it. So um, I, I don't see that methods being uh, incredibly um, revolutionary or different. To be fair, than than the MLS, some of the MLS that I know. And then and the last thing I want to say is, you know, we talked you know we talked about the seven. You said Adam was reading about the seven different uh, compartments. You know, which is the one we all know. Um, I don't like to use technology as a crutch, you know, as a as a as a way to feel better or, or justify, you know, all the chances, all, the, all our choices. There is a human element in all this. We 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 are experienced practitioner, you know. Sometimes you don't need to go to a computer screen, you know. Not not everything is measurable, you know. And uh, and you're not publicize this. You're not going to do a study on things that are not measurable but i think they're important you know and with going back to previous topic about how do you manage, you, know, do you, manage? Um, you can manage players without computers you can manage players without numbers you can manage players without screens it's it's all about human relationship and and this is where an expanded staff is important because um different players we have different affinities and relationship with different people from your staff and I like to make sure that within my staff, we all have, con each one of us has a particular connection to any player so that at the end, the whole group is covered, you know? So it's the opposite of what we're talking about here, but in one way, it's, it's also a, uh, a technique, not a technology, but a technique. Mm -hmm. If you have the budget, I was gonna say, you can have that expanded staff, which for some team, they yeah, may but, not have, yeah. But Derek talked about it right now. You know, in, in the MLS, uh, it's you have more than enough. You know, going back to our days where you know it's the evolution has been ex exponential. So uh, you would think you have more than enough in Europe for sure. In the Premier League for sure, you have also more than enough. Mm -hmm. Okay, thank you. Maybe Bill, do you want to jump in, or you were going to make a comment? 
Derek. You're you're muted. Oh, I'm sorry. No, I think I uh, I said um, I think we covered most of it. I think the biggest thing um is just to uh like for example you said something earlier about like who who like uh reviews the data what was it you said earlier I, i'm trying to remember what you said julian um as far as what they were doing with the data again yeah like uh who in the department and i know we talked about data and stuff like that like who i i always ideally i think in every organization you should have that one person who kind of keeps things in line in terms of like the um you know the trends um also like the research yeah. is it up to date um because I, I know most of you guys um said it and it's true that we have a lot going on it's a fast-paced environment right and so we do need that help in hand to aid us in our decision making not to make the decisions for us um and i think that's where um uh, things start to cross the line in terms of like you know uh understanding whose role um, but I think all in all, having that one person that can help with us collect that information, make sense of the information, and um, kind of keep, keep us up to date, I think that is something that every team should have uh, and designate it uh, in order to, to help with uh, information that's being collected for decision making. Yeah, no, and a lot of teams do. They have one yeah. person to do that or even more than one person. So, Derek, do you have any, uh, uh, any thoughts on that as well? No, I think kind of cover it all, to be honest with you. I mean, that's that's from my take. Yeah, I agree with the uh, collect data to be useful at some point, implement it as best you can. And if it even collect data, and if it's not able to be implemented, look at it again and wonder why, you know, really question what, what's going into it as to why that it's not working out. And I think we're starting to see some of that with maybe the acute, the chronic. Uh, research is coming out and people are coming to kind of going at it and that's kind of been a gold standard for some of us uh, so it's interesting to see how that's coming about you know something as simple as that yeah well thank you Derek hey the last question I wanted to ask you guys today is Julian Julian yeah, as I was talking I was thinking of a famous quote mm -hmm. so I'm gonna throw it in there uh, not everything that can be counted counts and not everything that counts can be counted that's Albert Einstein you know so that was a long time ago and that was my point about, you know, measuring and then, you know, having to explain things, you know, when you deal with players. Yeah, great quotes. Um, hey, the last question I wanted to ask you guys is a few days ago, right? So Messi, uh, who's now in the MLS with Inter Miami, and uh, won the World Cup. Uh, you know, he won his eighth uh, Ballon d'Or, right? So that's probably going to be his last Ballon d'Or. But I think there's been some talks, maybe a controversy of people saying, you know, and Pape or Halen should have won it, you know, get the Ballon d'Or for the first time. So what is your take on that? Did he deserve to get the, you know, another Ballon d'Or or not? Or anybody has any thoughts? I just want to say I know nothing about it, so I'm I'm here to learn. Come on, Bill. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm, I'm with Bill. That was exactly my exact same call. I'm like, I'd be interested. I don't know. I'm interested in Pierre's take just because yeah, you, you, get, you just can do it. No, I want to hear Bill and, and Marco. I'm on the contrary, I want to hear what Pierre has to say on this one. I really don't know anything oh. about it. Like I just heard about it yesterday by my kids, so I I, I don't mean, I don't know anything. So I, I just it'd be thirty seconds for me. Um, I don't think it should have been him. So does he deserve it or not? Who knows? I mean, I think Ballon d'Or to be to be just a false in team sport. In team sport, it should be there. 
And I wasn't thinking like this in the past, but I'm thinking more and more like this because I mean, just a force. If it would be me, it should have been Holland. Mm -hmm. you know? So based on the season he's had, based on everything that he's done, uh, he won the Champions League. He, I mean, the, the way he played, etc., etc. So it should have been him. Can he be? Mm -hmm. can, could he have been Mbappe? I mean, the guy scored, you know, won the league. You know, scored three goals in the World Cup final. I don't think any of us would witness this in our lifetime. Um, so I don't know. I mean, the World Cup was have a big, big weight in the Ballon d'Or, uh, especially you know every four years we need to work up here. So why not Messi? I just don't think if you go by player ability, if you go, it, it shouldn't be it shouldn't be the best one. But can he be? Yes, of course. You know. So that's my two senses. And do you I think, think it's highly political? Is it highly political? How do decisions get made? I mean, I don't think there's politics in there. I just it's just different opinions. So, you know, it's Julie's voting, so. Okay. I think Albert Einstein's quote <laughs> is in play here. Yeah, the bottom, though, yeah, <laughs> uh, the things that count, out of the thing that counts. Yeah, well. Um, so, Derek? I don't know. <laughs> Derek Lawrence. <laughs> I do not. I'm not a. I, I mean, I mean, I love soccer and everything, football. Uh, that 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 trophy presentation doesn't do anything for me. Doesn't move the needle or anything. I could care less because I'm not making those decisions. And no matter what decision they make, people are always going to have a problem with it. Yeah, and it's it's sad. Because they have what seventeen bundles, something crazy number between between Ronaldo and yeah. Messi. Come on, yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, seriously. Uh, it's just, it just doesn't make sense. So, there's you know, way too many footballers out there in the world, of course. Now, and you of can't course. just narrow it down to one. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> so basically, if, if you if not a forward, you, you cannot be a ballon d'or. So, it's just ridiculous. Did you guys see the the night when they gave the ballon d'or to Messi? Benzema, right? Karen Benzema was on Facebook and Reels and putting a video about, you know, I guess, uh, about himself, but. I think he was kind of frustrated he wasn't even in the top 10. Uh, you know, but look, he went to Saudi Arabia. So look, at the end of the day, uh, you took money. Uh, I mean, he didn't have a bad season, but I just find it was kind of funny to see a player uh, kind of saying, look, I'm the Baron Dog, but that was last year not in Saudi Arabia. So, you know, <laughs> yeah. I get yeah. some attention, I guess. Again, again, we we looked at KPIs. We talked about KPIs. So if the, if the KPIs of the Baron Dog were clear, then maybe it'd be worth it, you know. You don't think you don't think they are. You don't think that the KPIs are clear on. It's not that I don't think. Is I know they are. I mean, do you know what they, what they are? I don't know. Ah, no one knows. The so MVP award in NBA, right? What what's the uh, what's the KPIs on that? Is yeah. that is that yeah. a media selection, right? They just think they're like, oh, this guy averages the most points because we know that most of the time the most valuable player is those who elevate their team. Not the guy who scores the most points, but typically those who score the most points mm -hmm. are the ones that become the most valuable player. Although I could say the Joker probably helped elevate his team to the championship. Well, I guess let me ask you, who, who votes for the Baron Dog? Is that the media or who's voting for the for the players? Right? Yeah, okay. well, then yeah, I mean there you go, right? So yeah, there, there, there's That's, also well, one of the things that I read up on this most recent one that's, that's a bit of a shift is that it's changed, I believe, from um, – so Bill and Marco 
the European season for football runs from kind of similar to the NFL. So it's through the second half of the year and then the first half, that's one season. And the way that it used to be awarded is per year. And it was through like 2023 where now it's, it's by the season. So, you know, even the statement of Lionel Messi playing for Inter Miami has won the, the best player in the world. So an MLS player for the first time recently, there's, I, I think he's the, maybe the fourth uh, MLS player to, to re- receive the award. Usually they're not on the MLS team at the time, um, but there's players in the past that have won it and then come to the MLS after. Um, and uh, Kaká is one of them. There's one player that was like in the early, early stages. Um, I think it was Mateus. It can only be Lothar Mateus, but then that's three. And who was the fourth? I, I think he won it twice. So it, it was some stat oh, like I got that. It. Um, yeah. But so that has shifted things as well because just the the year to year like is the 2022 world cup that messi played a part of this year's i I don't know um but that i think goes into it as well and it's it's a it's tough to circle one name and and by the way so one one shot a guy posted yesterday saying there was messi was the first player to play in the mls to win the the ballon d'or but there was never been i don't know if it's true there's never been a player in the Premier League who won a Ballon d'Or. Is that true? That's hard to uh, believe. I wouldn't know that. Uh, it was well, a zero. So I was surprised that, you know, there I'm was no it. player. So, you it. know. Well, if the media put it out, it's got to be true, right? Me, you mean uh, playing? Guy with, yeah. <laughs> well, the, it's incorrect. I guess. It's incorrect. <laughs> it's incorrect? Well, yeah. 2001. Uh, Premier League didn't exist many years ago, but George Best won the Ballon d'Or. Bobby Charlton. It was the so, only one who did. The only one who, who won the Ballon d'Or in the Premier League. Well, the Premier League didn't uh, well, exist then. Two, so. uh, okay. In 2001, Michael Owen was playing for Liverpool. Ah, uh, okay, yeah, okay. So two. Cristiano Ronaldo, Man United. For sure. There's quite a few. Ronaldo, Man United. Correct. 2008. All right. I see That's like Bill and Mark myth, are like myth what are we been busted. About? All right. Myth has been busted. Can't mm-hmm. can't trust all the memes. <laughs> all right. Well look, we're at the end of the, 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 the interview, but look, thank you guys again for your time and best of luck to you guys. Okay. Take care. All right, see guys. you. Thanks. Bye bye. Thank you for listening. To access past episodes and other research, articles, and analysis of sports technology please visit our website, theupside.us. Subscribe to the Upside newsletter and receive full access to our sports tech business letter and website. Royalty-free music is provided by ibaudio.com. The Upside podcast provides timely insights and interviews with global leaders in sports technology. Until next time, keep looking to the Upside.